Back in 2017, in the, um, the professional football Super Bowl, the New England Patriots were playing the Atlanta Falcons, and the Patriots ended up winning the game. Um, massive comeback at the end of the game, it was, it was big news. But, but right after the game, there was something really memorable, at least for me, and that was one of the commercials that came on. It was a commercial by Hyundai, a company that makes vehicles. And in the commercial, they showed uh, a whole bunch of American soldiers who were stationed overseas. And they showed them watching the Super Bowl that had just finished up, which means that their production time on this commercial was really, really quick, and which was really impressive. But what they did was they would pull random soldiers from the crowd watching the game, and they would bring them into, it looked like a big bubble, a big white bubble. And there was, uh, there was a chair sitting in the middle of this big bubble. And they told them to sit in the chair, and it was really, really dark until all of a sudden, the, the bubble inside, the inside walls of the bubble turned on, like it was a big TV all around them. And they were watching, um, what they were watching when they were in the bubble was the Super Bowl. It was like they were watching it live, which is impressive all enough by itself that they were able to do that and set up this bubble to make it seem like they were there at the Super Bowl in the seats watching the game. But the more impressive part was that they had set it up so that their, that particular soldier's family was sitting there, sitting there uh, right next to them virtually at the Super Bowl. Hyundai had arranged for these military families who were at home to attend the Super Bowl, and they set up a camera in one of the seats right next to them so that it could be like their, their loved one who was thousands of miles away overseas could, could watch the game with them. It was really, really, really impressive. And, and then at the end of the commercial was the tagline, Hyundai better drives us. In other words, the reason they do what they do is because they want things to be better. And apparently not only do they believe that life is better um, when you have better vehicles, <laughs> They also believe that life is better when families are together, loving one another. And I think that you probably believe the same thing, that life is better when friends and family are together, loving one another. And if you believe that, then it means you also believe that the opposite is true, that life is worse when that doesn't happen. And sometimes that doesn't happen. Take, uh, take Tom Brady, for example. He's the quarterback of the New England Patriots. And after that Super Bowl, when the Patriots came back and just broke the hearts of every Atlanta Falcons fan, the Atlanta, the city of Atlanta Zoo decided to name one of their new baby animals after Tom Brady. And do you know which little baby animal they named after Tom Brady? The hissing cockroach. <laughs> their new baby hissing cockroach. They named Tom Brady, not the, not the cute little panda bear or the pink flamingo or, or the little baby tiger, you know, nothing like that. It was, it was the hissing cockroach. Do you think the city of Atlanta loves Tom Brady? I don't, you know, I don't think so. Of course, that was all in good fun. I don't think Tom Brady's feelings were hurt all that, were hurt all that much, but, but sometimes it does hurt and it hurts a lot when, uh, when our relationships are filled with something other than love. I mean, sometimes what separates friends and families isn't thousands of miles apart on different continents. It's, it's a big mistake that someone made that they can't take back. It's somebody's jealousy or resentment or selfishness. It's the kind of things that, make, that people do that make you wonder how exactly that person's heart became as cold and selfish as theirs, as theirs obviously is. If I were to ask you to identify one person in this world that um, that should be named after a hissing cockroach. <laughs> I'm guessing that um, maybe most of us would be able to quickly identify somebody whose heart is being driven by something other than love. But this week we're going to let Jesus remind us of how important it is that love always drives us. 
And he does that so masterfully in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapters 12 and 13, which we're going to be taking a look at this week. But this is how the end of chapter 12 begins, getting into, getting into chapter 13, where the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, love is pretty important. We'll take a look at what it's supposed to look like in our lives tomorrow. Not long ago, I saw a news story about an eight-year-old boy named Perrin, whose family lives in North Carolina. Last Christmas, the family decided to take a trip to Utah, spend, uh, spend some time there, and while they were in Utah, uh, Perrin started having massive headaches, so bad that they eventually took him to the hospital. And when they were at the hospital, they found that he had a brain tumor that needed immediate surgery. And so they got him in for surgery. He, uh, they got done with the surgery. The surgery was a success. And after the surgery, Perrin's mom went on uh, one online and updated her social media friends on everything that had been happening as they were having surgery 2,000 miles away from home. And, uh, and she said in her social media posts that Perrin had been having kind of a difficult time dealing with the whole thing. And she lamented that she wishes that they had brought their dog, Frank, on the trip with them because Frank and Perrin just had a very, very special connection. And so that story got shared over and over again and again by so many different people until a guy named Bob, who, uh, who had never met the family, who the family did not know, caught wind of it, contacted the family, and asked if they would mind if he picked up Frank from North Carolina and drove him 2,000 miles to Utah so that Frank and Perrin could be together. And that's exactly what he did. He drove uh, from his home 300 miles to North Carolina, picked up Frank, and together the two of them drove 2,000 miles across, across the country all the way to Utah so that, so that Frank, uh, Perrin and Frank could, could be together. It was just an awesome, an awesome act that he did for them. And he also offered to... Uh, drive Frank back home again when it was time for them to go home again. And that's what he did. And eventually the media caught wind of this wonderful story and they asked him, well, why did you do that? And I love his answer. His answer was just this. He said, I just knew that something had to be done and that I could do it. And I love that answer because it's a really, really great expression of how the Bible describes what love is. One of the more famous sections in the Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where it describes what love is. And this is what that section says about what love is. It says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. And I see a lot of that in what Bob did for Perrin and, and Perrin's family. Um, and what he said that I just knew something needed to be done and he just did it. And think about what he didn't say when the media asked him, well, why did you do that? He didn't say, well, you know what? I did that because I was hoping that they would tell me what an awesome guy I am. Or I was hoping that, uh, you know, I would 
they would be so impressed with the wonderful gift that I that I gave in bringing their dog to this to their uh, to their son. I was thinking that you know I would come up with just the right words to say over that long lengthy trip, and they would open the door and I would say them, and they would just be like, "Oh, that's exactly what we need to hear. You are so so awesome." I would hoping that they would be really impressed with my knowledge of what uh, what was going on in the situation and how I applied that knowledge to be able to help them. He didn't say any of those things, and it's a good thing that he didn't, because then because then it wouldn't be love. And that's, and that's important because think about the times in your life when it's most difficult to show love. Isn't it often when nobody's been noticing the good things that you've been doing for them? Or when somebody's been really good at showing that, what, that they don't care at all about what you know about anything or they've done a really good job of showing that man, they don't care about what you, what you speak, what the words you have to say, they just, they're not, they're not listening. Maybe. But notice that Paul didn't say love feels patient. Love feels kind. He simply said love is patient and love is kind, whether or not we feel like it. Which means that we have a responsibility to show what love is, even when other people aren't being all that loving. In addition, the Apostle Paul said in what we read yesterday, he said, you can have the greatest knowledge, you can say the greatest words, you can do the greatest things, you can have the greatest mountain-moving faith that there is. But if you're doing any of those things because even a little part of you is seeking for someone else to notice something about you and how great you think you are, that not only does he say you will gain nothing, he says you actually are nothing. You are nothing. And that might sound kind of harsh, but really it's just a very strong statement of what a great thing Jesus did for us in loving us and what a great thing we are doing for others when we show love to them. We have an incredibly powerful promise in front of us this week as we look at the famous love section in 1 Corinthians. And the promise is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8, where it says very simply, Love never fails. Love never fails. Now, there's an unwritten opposite side of that, of course, that if love never fails, that means that showing the opposite of love will always fail. And so when we are impatient, when we are unkind, when we keep a record of wrongs, whatever good we think we are accomplishing, what we're really doing is failing. And there's a really pretty simple way to determine whether we are putting, um, putting a relationship on a path to, uh, to greater things or putting that relationship on a path to something entirely different. And it's to take this famous section in 1 Corinthians 13 where it defines what love is. Love is patient, love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it doesn't proud, or it isn't proud. And anywhere you see the word love, you replace the word love with the word I, and you say the phrase out loud, and just see if, you're, see if your heart agrees with what you're saying. And so, so let's just do some of these together. I'll say it out loud and you can say it out loud with me if you'd like, um, if you're in a place where you can do that. But just see if your heart agrees with yourself saying these things out loud. And the first one, of course, is I am patient. And I'm pausing a lot to test your patience to see if you really, <laughs> see if you really are patient. Uh, the next one is I am kind. I do not envy. I do not boast. 
I am not proud. I am not rude. I am not self-seeking. I am not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. And there are more phrases, and we could do more. We could spend more time with that, but that's, you know, maybe that's Maybe that's enough, but it's, it's an easy way to determine if, you know, if we're making things better in the relationship or if we're contributing to the problem. And, and yet, even though it's really easy to define what love is and really easy to see if we're doing a good job of putting it into practice, it's not always easy to show love. And not just because some people are very unloving towards us, but because of a very simple fact about showing love is that it doesn't always work. It doesn't always work. And you, you might know that, if you've ever been really good at showing love and you still got hurt, or you were really patient and they weren't, or you were really kind and they took advantage of your kindness, or you did a really good job of keeping no record of wrongs and keeping no record of wrongs multiple times and they knew that. And so they did it again because they expected you to keep no record of wrongs. Again, when the Apostle Paul writes that love never fails, he's not saying that showing love will always produce the results that we're hoping to see. And the greatest example of that, of course, is Jesus. Jesus loved the whole world perfectly. And yet not even his perfect love resulted in everybody in the world loving him. And sometimes we have to live often with that same reality as we're the ones who also have to live with broken relationships and broken hearts and broken dreams to the extent that it might make you wonder sometimes why it's even worth it to keep showing love if the results aren't something that you can't guarantee. And I'm going to leave you hanging there today because I want you to wrestle with that. I want you to come up with your answer to that. What would you say when somebody comes to you and says, why should I continue to show love to someone if I can't guarantee that it's going to pay off in the way that I'm looking? Wrestle with that and just know this. I'll give you some really good reasons as we continue through the week. Yesterday I asked you to think about why a person should continue to show love even though we can't always guarantee the results. I mean, sometimes we find ourselves in situations in which somebody isn't being very loving towards us at all, and those can be difficult situations to feel motivated to show love. And while we can't guarantee what will happen if we choose to show love to that person, we actually can guarantee what would happen if we don't show love to them. And it's the same thing that would have happened if the blood of Jesus had never stained the cross on which he was hanging. We would rob that relationship, we would rob the world, of hope. Hope that things can get better. Hope that sin doesn't get to win. Hope that allows us to walk through life knowing that we who are fully known to God are also fully loved by someone who knew what needed to be done for us. And he did it. For you, for me, and for them. Let this world see what an unusual and powerful gift the love of God really is. And by doing that, you will give the world the hope that it is so desperately missing. 
It will give the world something to believe in. The Apostle Paul says as much in this section in 1 Corinthians 13, in verse 13, where he says this, And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. In other words, there is no hope. There is no faith. There's no reason to believe in anything if there's not someone who's first showing love. Jesus gave hope to us in a very powerful way. It's time for us to give that powerful gift to someone. Luis lives in Brazil, and for the last 20 years, he's been homeless. He's lived out on the street. But he hasn't been alone. Six dogs have decided to live with him, and he's taken them in, and he's taken care of them the best, best that he can. A couple of months ago, Luis suffered a stroke. And somebody who was passing by, driving or walking, I don't, I don't know, they saw him laying on, laying on the pavement and they called an ambulance. And when the ambulance came in, they loaded Luis up into the ambulance and they sped away toward the hospital. And, uh, and that's when all six of the dogs who had been living with him got up on their feet and started chasing after the ambulance. And they followed all the way to the hospital. And when they got to the hospital and realized that they were not gonna be allowed inside the front door, you know what they did? They laid down on the sidewalk, right outside the front entrance. And that's where they stayed, all six of them, for the next 30 hours, until the next day, when Luis was released from the hospital, walked out the front doors, and discovered that he had friends who were going to be there for him, no matter where he was, no matter how long he had been gone, no matter what kind of condition he was in. In other words, he found that he was loved. How many people in this world walk around and by the way that they look, live their life, it seems like they've never seen such a thing? Or how many others walk around in this world afraid that they will never find the same thing? Or convinced that they never would if anyone knew the truth about what kind of person they really are and about the kind of things that they really did? How many people live each day with hearts feeling cold and alone as if there is no cross on which God is always waiting? with his love, even when they took advantage of his kindness, even on the days when they pounded one nail in and then did it again. And even though he is a God who fully knows, even better than us, all the ways that we fail to show love. I alluded to this verse yesterday, but it's a verse that, that comes up in this section where the Apostle Paul says this very simply. He says, Now I know in part, then I shall know fully. And here's the key phrase even as I am fully known. We are fully known. We can't hide anything from God. He sees the inconsistency in our actions. He knows how often we do something that looks loving just so that we can get attention. And yet, whenever we walk out to the cross, what we see is a love that is always patient and kind and never self-seeking. A love that keeps no record of all of your wrongs that he has already forgiven. A love that certainly knows how hard it sometimes is to show love and promises that he will never fail to love you when that happens. And a love that will always be there waiting for you whenever you need to see it again. Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Uh, thanks so much for listening today. 
If you enjoy this podcast but want to go even deeper in your faith, I want to invite you to check out all the great content that we put out here at Time of Grace. Um, The easiest way for you to do that, and the way that I personally do that, is by signing up for the Time of Grace email. I might be biased, (laughs) but I think the Time of Grace team does a great job putting all into one email, a written devotion, a video devotion, a blog post, podcasting options. It's the way that I love to start my day. And if you want to go deeper with Jesus, it's a great way to start yours too. Just look for the link in the episode notes to sign up. And thanks for your support.